0: Day after
1: tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las
0: Vegas functions on a 24 hour a day schedule. The pool's the casino. Big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good
1: luck. The strip is just the most amazing stretch of the road I think probably anywhere in the world.
0: Kickin' ass in Vegas.
1: Vegas, baby.
0: Vegas, baby.
1: Welcome to Las Vegas. When we last got together, I shared with you what defamation was, how it worked and what defenses were available for a defendant to a defamation lawsuit. One area, however, which I did not cover is a relatively new defense, which has only become prevalent within the last 10 to 15 years. There is a defense for something known as a Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation, or SLAP for short. Now, Mark, I was able to find some information about what these you know, SLAP lawsuits are about at a website called anti Why don't you share with us these next three paragraphs that, that really do a r- nice job of encompassing what these SLAP lawsuits are really all about?
0: SLAPs are strategic lawsuits against public participation. These damaging suits chill free speech and healthy debate by targeting those who communicate with their government or speak out on issues of public interest. SLAPs are used to silence and harass critics by forcing them to spend money to defend these baseless suits. SLAP filers don't go to court seeking justice. Rather, SLAPs are intended to intimidate those who disagree with them or their activities by draining the target's financial resources. SLAPs are effective because even a meritless lawsuit can take years and many thousands of dollars to defend. To end or prevent a SLAP, those who speak out on issues of public interest frequently agree to muzzle themselves,
1: apologize, or quote-unquote,
0: correct its statements.
1: According to the ACLU of Michigan, slap suits are not so much about resolving a problem but removing a controversy from the public arena. Plaintiffs sue to silence their opposition or to prevent citizen oversight of government. Yet public participation is the very cornerstone of a democratic society. Because these lawsuits are seen as a way to chill free speech, essentially slapping people down, many state legislatures across the country have been implementing statutes commonly referred to as anti-slap statutes. These statutes give a defendant an extra tool in their toolbox. All right, so one more time, Mark, I pulled a provision that I thought was was pretty cool uh, from the anti-slap.org website. Why don't you give that to us as well? Every American
0: from consumers reviewing the services of a merchant online to reporters revealing information that some would rather see kept quiet to citizens speaking out against the development in their community are potential targets of a slap suit. The internet age has encouraged and grown citizen participation in democracy through self-publishing, citizen journalism and other forms of speech online. Unfortunately, abuses of the legal
1: system, aimed at silencing these citizens, has also grown. anti slap statutes traditionally address the issue by requiring a court, upon a motion by the defendant, to dismiss a civil action that was based on a defendant's exercise of constitutionally protected rights of free speech and the right to petition the temptation to silence a critic through litigation would be lessened by the damages the plaintiff could be ordered to pay the defendant. In addition, a court would be given discretion to levy additional sanctions against not only the plaintiff, but also the plaintiff's attorney or law firm to discourage any of them from filing slap suits in the future. Nevada has this exact type of anti-slap act on the books and is the tool used by defendant Vital Vegas in the recent lawsuit brought against the website by Sahara Hotel and Casino. This lawsuit was filed after an article was published on Vital Vegas's website reporting rumors surrounding the possibility the casino might liquidate the hotel casino's inventory and potentially close if the liquidation rumors were true. I'm not going to rehash the elements of defamation or all the possible defenses, as I've already addressed those points. If you need a refresher, go back and listen to the August segment. What I do, however, want to address is how the anti-SLAP statute was effectively implemented in the case between Sahara and Vital Vegas. But before I get into that, your spoonful of legalese. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast is neither legal advice, nor is it legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice Nevada law, I practice Michigan law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about Nevada's anti slap laws could very well be outdated the day we post this podcast. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need legal advice, you would be well served to contact your home state's State Bar and ask for their Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who can specialize in your legal needs. On or about August 6th, 2020, The Sahara Hotel and Casino threw everything but the kitchen sink at Vital Vegas regarding an article they wrote discussing the rumors of a potential liquidation of assets and subsequent sale. The counts, which were contained within the complaint, consisted of defamation, false light, business disparagement, and civil conspiracy. After the initial lawsuit was filed, the attorney for Vital Vegas, filed an anti-slap motion to dismiss. I have to thank Scott Robin for sharing with me the documents which were filed with the court on this case. Although these documents are available on the Clark County Court's website, they charge a small fortune to gain access to it. Therefore, to save me $200, Scott shared with me only documents available to the public. I want to make clear... I do not have any documentation not already on file with the 8th Judicial District Court of Clark County, Nevada. What I will be discussing within this segment is the legal argument Vital Vegas, through its attorney, successfully presented to the court. The reason why I'm focusing all of my attention within this segment to the anti-slap motion is because it was a successful motion, meaning the judge agreed with the theory brought forth by Vital Vegas that this lawsuit by Sahara was intended not to prevail, but to shut down Vital Vegas discussing Sahara's current plight. If Sahara had prevailed, I would have been writing this segment from an entirely different angle. But because Sahara lost, do you really care what their failed rebuttal to the anti slap motion argued? Well, of course not. They lost. So why review a losing argument? We will review the winning argument put forth before the judge. It is as follows The defense starts off its argument to the court that the Vital Vegas website reports on matters of public concern based upon the best available source it has at the time of publication. In this instance at hand, the website published a news story about information suggesting that Sahara was having severe financial problems. Aspects such as contacting a liquidation company, scaling back high roller benefits, and having a difficult time financially due to the COVID-19 pandemic, are clear indications that Sahara was likely to be the next victim of the economic downturn brought on by the secondary effects of the coronavirus. Although this blog post was based upon reports from reliable sources, Scott went out of his way to tell the readers that this, quote unquote, startling rumor is unconfirmed. The attorney for Vital Vegas writes in the motion, and and I paraphrase here, Sahara is before this court on a novel theory that even though Vital Vegas stated that it's an unconfirmed rumor in the article, because it stated the unconfirmed rumor status in paragraphs following a photograph, that the unconfirmed rumor sentence changes this article from non-defamatory into a defamatory one. The lawyer went on to say, and I will quote here, This theory is so novel and strange that it does not appear to ever have been brought in the United States before. End quote. (laughs) Zing. That was one of many great lines by the attorney throughout his motion, and, and I'll get to more as we continue. So why is it relevant to point this out, you wonder? Because it's a crazy notion for Sahara to believe where in the news story Scott makes clear the rumor is unconfirmed that it has no bearing on whether the article is true or false. If it's made clear that the rumor is unconfirmed, the article in and of itself is either true or false. And the defense points out the indicators such as liquidation inquiries, scaling back of high roller benefits, and difficult financial times are all true. This is because Scott heard about these actions from reliable insider contacts and a confidential source. But most importantly, Scott believed the story he wrote was factually true. This is important and will circle back to why his subjective belief in the truth of what he wrote particularly about a public entity like the Sahara, is so important. So what were some of the things that Vital Vegas relied on outside of just his confidential sources? Mark, why don't you and I go uh, back and forth on this bullet-pointed list because there are, it looks like, four, eight, nine, it looks like there's about nine here. Um, So I'll get started. The first one was outside of the governor's emergency directives and phase two opening plans, there were these other things,
0: such as... There was the executive summary of the las vegas convention and visitors authority july 2020 report which outlined tourism was at record lows and the scores of canceled conventions in both 2020 and 2021
1: likewise the number of casinos such as palms uh, fiestas henderson and uh, rancho along with texas station all of these casinos are reported by uh, casino.org to have no plans of reopening until June of 2021. Fox 5 Vegas article titled,
0: Sahara Las Vegas sees layoffs due to coronavirus.
1: An article from the Daily Beast titled, Overwhelmed and Terrified, Las Vegas reopening backfires terribly.
0: A Reno Gazette Journal article, Nevada's casinos and COVID-19, should they be open? It's complicated, experts say, unquote.
1: An article in the Las Vegas Review Journal titled, quote, As COVID-19 cases rise, fewer tourists come to visit Las Vegas, end quote.
0: The Reno Gazette Journal, which ran an article with the headline, quote, Sahara Las Vegas Northside Cafe closes after three employees test positive for COVID-19, unquote. And finally, and this
1: one's the most galling of them all, on June 19, 2020, approximately 11 days before the Vital Vegas article about the Sahara liquidation bids gets posted to the blog, Sahara itself sent a letter to the Nevada Department of Employment, Training, and Rehabilitation notifying the department that Sahara anticipated, quote, a continued significant decrease in revenue, cancellation and non-booking of hotel, restaurants, and entertainment events, and significant postponement and cancellation of convention bookings, end quote. And that Sahara expected to terminate a number of furloughed employees by mid-September 2020, They did this pursuant to the WARN, W-A-R-N, the WARN Act, which is a federal law which requires companies to issue a WARN notice when a business with 100 or more full-time workers is laying off at least 50 people at a single site of employment. The value in providing this WARN letter, and and it's an acronym and I don't really really remember or care what it stands for, but essentially the purpose is to to give notice to both the employees and to state government so as to help uh, these soon-to-be unemployed workers find a new job. The defense notes that Scott, in addition to considering his source to be reliable, was able to additionally rely upon the aforementioned news articles, word-of-mouth stories, and Sahara's own public statements. In these news stories to support the believability of the confidential sources' claims regarding a potential liquidation and possible business sale. But even with all the news stories which support the sources' truthiness, my words, not Scott's attorney, the Vital Vegas article still included a caveat which read, and I'm quoting here sources don't always get it right. And in this case, we'd love it if the information is wrong. So, once again, Scott's making clear the source could be wrong, and he very clearly states it is his hope the source is wrong about the potential outcome of the Sahara requesting bids for liquidation. So now, let's get into the heart of what Nevada's anti slap statutes look like, what must be argued, and why Vital Vegas was successful. To begin the court must evaluate Vital Vegas' anti-slap motion via a two-prong process. First, the court must determine whether Vital Vegas has established by a preponderance of the evidence that the blog article is based upon a good faith communication in furtherance of the right to free speech in direct connection with an issue of public concern. Now, let me dig a little bit deeper into that, all right? Because Nevada's anti slap statute protects communications, like, say, a blog post, when those statements are made in direct connection with an issue of public interest and in a public forum, and is either truthful or is at least said without the knowledge of its falsehood. And while we will go through these elements one by one, let me give a, a brief little recap. What was said in the Vital Vegas blog post has to have been something deemed in the public interest, such as news about a well known and beloved Las Vegas casino. And it must be done in a public forum, like a website open to all to see, read, and comment upon. And the news in the blog post is either truthful or it's said, but it's not knowing. That what's being said is actually false when it's being said, because if a person says something that they know to be untrue, they're going to lose the protection that the anti-slap statute provides. You can never knowingly lie about something and try to protect yourself with a free speech argument. All right. So, so once Vital Vegas argues the aforementioned aspects about what they said in their blog post. The burden now shifts to Sahara, who must make a prima facie evidentiary showing that they have a probability of prevailing on their claim. Now, real quick, don't, don't, don't shut me off on it. Right? Just, just listen, I promise. A prima facie case means that a claim like defamation is sufficiently established by Sahara's evidence to justify a verdict in their favor, provided such evidence is not rebutted by the other party. Now, as you're going to see throughout this this review, Vital Vegas was able to successfully rebut almost all of Sahara's evidence. Now if Vital Vegas is able to successfully meet the first prong of this two-prong test, and if Sahara is unable to meet their burden on the second prong, the court is to treat the anti-slap motion as essentially a motion for summary judgment. And what's so great about summary judgment is the court rules right then and there on the merits of the case. And if it's successful, the case is dismissed in favor of Vital Vegas with prejudice, meaning Sahara can't move forward with their lawsuit and their day in court has done and over. Again, spoiler alert, that's exactly what happened here. So what did Vital Vegas argue before the Nevada judge who ultimately ruled in his favor? To begin, Vital Vegas had to show how his blog article was written about an issue of public interest, his blog article was posted in a public forum, and that his blog post was truthful or was not made without knowledge of any falsehoods. All right, let's get into the public interest aspect. Issues of public interest is broadly defined as any issue in which the public is interested the issue need not be significant to be protected by an anti slap statute, meaning it's enough that it's something in which the public takes an interest. And typically, matters of public interest may include activities that involve private persons and entities, particularly large, powerful organizations, which may impact the lives of many individuals. It's funny, the defense points out that the, the activity which may be considered of public interest, quote, need not meet the lofty standards of pertaining to the heart of government, social, or even lowbrow topics may suffice, end quote. And that quote comes from a 2009 federal appeals court which had to hear the case of Hilton versus Hallmark, where Paris Hilton sues the Hallmark Card Company for using her likeness in a cartoony That's Hot tagline she used during her reality show days. (laughs) Yes, kids, you heard that right. Federal judges, nominated by the President of the United States and confirmed only after a hearing before the United States Senate are hearing cases brought by Paris Hilton over her trite, that's hot tagline and bubble-headed cartoon when put on a Hallmark birthday card. But I digress. In our case, Vital Vegas successfully argues that the closure of a major Las Vegas resort and casino was clearly a matter of public interest because the casinos on the Las Vegas Strip are considered to be the main lifeline for Vegas' economy. And because a healthy, vibrant casino is good for everyone, from tourists and locals to employees and investors, there is a public interest in learning how well or poorly a casino is doing, particularly during a pandemic. The statements made within the blog article are in direct connection with and entirely relevant to an issue of public interest. The second piece of the first prong Vital Vegas must show next is that his statements were made in a public forum. Our society's come a long way from television and radio being the only two main sources of a public forum. The internet has changed everything. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Reddit, in addition to blogs and websites and podcasts, has allowed anyone with a computer and an opinion to share their thoughts, concerns, and goals, regardless of what the subject matter might be. Sure, in most instances, we think of platforms as places to share our displeasure regarding politics, social injustice, sports ball, referee calls, etc., etc., but As has been noted by our United States Supreme Court, and this is a quote from a United States Supreme Court case, social media users employ these websites to engage in a wide array of First Amendment activity on topics as diverse as human thought, unquote. So said another way, whatever a human can think about, good, bad, or otherwise... Americans use these platforms to exercise their First Amendment right to free speech. And because Vital Vegas is a publicly accessible website, there is no question these statements about Sahara are in direct connection with a matter of public interest. All right, third one statements made are, are truth or made without knowledge of falsehood and I'll be the first to concede this can be a little head scratchy because we all understand what it means to say a statement must be true. But how do you wrap your head around the idea of a statement being made without knowledge of it being false, you wonder? This means a defendant cannot make a statement actually knowing it is false. And if you want to get into whether the defendant made the statement negligently or with a reckless disregard for the truth, It's not going to matter in an anti-slap case. The fundamental question is whether the defendant knowingly lied. The test is subjective, with a focus on what the defendant believed and intended to convey, not what a reasonable person would have understood the message to be. The Nevada Supreme Court has even ruled that it is as simple as, quote, the declarant must be unaware that the communication is false at the time it was made, unquote. But why this may be a head-scratcher for you is because it's counterintuitive to what we expect from journalists. The Nevada Supreme Court essentially said it is not relevant to a defamation lawsuit to determine whether a more thorough investigation prior to publication, should have been conducted. We merely look to the mind of the speaker and evaluate whether that person had actual knowledge what they were saying was false. It is a very high bar a plaintiff like Sahara must clear to show the defendant had actual knowledge what they said was false. But what about instances where a news story isn't 100% accurate? The Nevada Supremes have addressed that by saying the doctrine of substantial truth bars a court from imposing defamation liability based on a statement's immaterial inaccuracies so long as the gist of the statement was truthful or made without knowledge of falsity. And yes, the Nevada Supreme Court really did use the term gist in their opinion. They held that minor inaccuracies do not amount to falsity unless the inaccuracies would have a different effect on the mind of the reader from that which the actual truth would have produced. If the gist or sting of a story is true, it is not defamatory, even if some details are incorrect. Okay, let's go in a different direction on statements being made which are either truthful or at least, you know, made without knowledge that they're false. We have to weigh into the territory of opinion and evaluative opinion. The Nevada Supreme Court has ruled that when determining whether a statement is one of protected opinion or an actionable factual assertion, the court must ask whether a reasonable person would be likely to understand the remark as an expression of the source's opinion or as a statement of existing fact. The Nevada Supremes have recognized that a statement of opinion cannot be made with knowing falsity for the purposes of a good faith inquiry. Let me say that one more time. The Nevada Supremes have recognized that a statement of opinion cannot be made with knowing falsity for the purposes of a good faith inquiry. So here, in our case, because Scott subjectively believed his statements in the blog article were true when he published them, he's going to be given the protection of evaluative opinion. He framed his statements within the context that the rumors were not confirmed, his source could be wrong, but there were rumors regarding Sahara. He never alleged the rumors were true, nor did he allege Sahara was going to close down. And although he never did this, Scott could have given an evaluative opinion about the likelihood of Sahara's future based upon his source, coupled with all those news stories about COVID wreaking havoc over all Vegas casinos. Add in Sahara and its worn letter about permanently laying off 50, five, zero, 50 plus employees. You get the idea. But like I said, he never did that. He could have, but he didn't. Scott had two things going in his favor, only one of which he needed. First, there was nothing literally false about the blog post. As we discussed in the earlier uh, Legal Lounge segment about defamation, the truth is always a defense. But in addition to the truthfulness of the blog post, the other aspect he had in his favor was that he made his statements in good faith. He never believed what he said in the blog post was untrue. So Scott had two routes to get to the same end, only one of which he needed, but having two paths to the goal line is always better than one. Have I yet explained this this good faith aspect? I, I don't think I have, so let me let me do so real quick, but I promise I'll be brief here. The defense explains that a person who says something must have had a good faith belief in what they were saying. Statements of opinion can never be made with knowledge of falsity for purposes of the good faith analysis. Because there is no such thing as a false idea. Statements of opinion are statements made without knowledge of their falsehood under Nevada anti-slap statute the Nevada Supreme Court has found that showing good faith is a very low bar. Frankly, a sworn declaration under penalty of perjury from a defendant that the information in the statement is true and accurate and and where he obtained the information, well, that's sufficient to establish good faith. A defendant can conclusively establish good faith with the type of declaration or this type of declaration. Now, to be clear, Contrary evidence can be provided by Sahara or, you know, whomever is suing for defamation. But that evidence must complete the difficult task of showing that the defendant, here in our instance, Vital Vegas, was lying about his mental state at the time he made the statements. One last thought from the defense before I move on. Not only was there never any evidence alleged by Sahara to show Scott subjectively believed his statements were false. Sahara never alleged that Scott made any statements with the knowledge of falsehood. The easy part for Sahara could have been to allege there were statements made in the blog post which were written with knowledge of falsehoods contained within. The hard part would then have been to prove evidence or provide evidence that Scott subjectively believed his statements were false. But Sahara never alleged either statements containing falsehoods or evidence showing knowledge of falsehoods. To not even argue that there were statements in the blog post which contained known falsity was, in my opinion, where Sahara's case really fell apart. If the heart and soul of a defamation lawsuit is whether statements made were true or false, for God's sake, hammer home the falsity argument until the judge's eyes are bleeding from the words falsehood and falsity being alleged every other sentence. But again, I digress. Let's now move into the second prong of an anti-slap lawsuit. That being the requirement of Sahara to make a prima facie evidentiary showing that they have a probability of prevailing on their individual claims. Remember, they're alleging defamation, false light, business disparagement, and conspiracy. The defense takes these claims one by one, but the biggest one is the defamation claim. The others, you know, that being the false light, the business disparagement, and the conspiracy, they're all buttressed by the keystone, which is defamation successfully take out defamation and the rest of the claims fail. So, to determine whether Sahara can meet the burden of the second prong, we're going to have to individually evaluate the elements of defamation. Now, as a reminder from our other Legal Lounge segment back in August on defamation, there are four pieces to a defamation lawsuit.
0: A false and defamatory statement by the defendant concerning the plaintiff? an unprivileged publication to a third party, fault amounting to at least negligence, and actual or presumed damages. A statement is only defamatory if it contains a factual assertion that can be proven false. If the statement is not false, the rest of the three elements are irrelevant.
1: Okay, so first element, let's talk about true statements and expression of opinion. We already understand that neither minor inaccuracies nor opinion constitute defamation. But it's also worth noting that the context of a statement is important in determining whether a statement is one constituting fact, opinion, or rhetorical hyperbole. See, if a publication containing an allegedly defamatory statement is surrounded by loose, figurative, or hyperbolic language, than any alleged defamatory meaning may be negated by the article's overall tenor. Contextual factors, such as the format, structure, language used, and expectations of the target audience regarding the type of information found in that context is paramount, if not dispositive, of any defamation case review. Let me read that most important part one more time to you. Contextual factors, such as expectations of the target audience regarding the type of information found in that article, is so important, it could result in the disposing of the defamation lawsuit. This will be the theme of the next few discussion points. Here's why. Frequent readers of Vital Vegas know exactly what they're getting from the blog. Hell, the Vital Vegas About Us page reads as follows, quote, we're here to give you the essential news and information you need to get the most from your next Las Vegas visit, all with a little skewed, occasionally intoxicated perspective, end quote. And below that pithy, tongue-in-cheek sentence is a Venn diagram, whereby the three circles converge together with Vital Vegas in the middle all three rings. And if you're familiar with a Venn diagram, you understand that each circle has a word in it, such that when all three converge, you get the center result. So, which words are used to constitute the Venn diagram? They are LOL, WTF and YOLO. If you combine, laugh out loud, what the fuck, and you only live once, when those three converge, what's the result? You get Vital Vegas. The defense notes that readers of internet message boards, comment sections of news articles, and other online forums are awash with fiery rhetoric from those who post online. Courts have come to recognize that this context makes it less likely that a reader will interpret statements published online as literal statements of fact. Therefore, the defense argues, a court should look at websites like Vital Vegas from the perspective of the average reader of websites like Vital Vegas, not from the perspective of Sahara employees or casino industry insiders. The defense goes so far as to even acknowledge that Scott does not try to be the Washington Post or some other perceived highbrow media outlets, although his attorney does take a clever swipe at the current newspaper's publication leadership. In the same vein, he cleverly snipes at Sahara. Remember when I read you the About Us section? Well, in Sahara's documents that they filed with the court, they conveniently left out a crucial part of the About Us section. Sahara only quoted the following, quote, we're here to give you the essential news and information you need to get the most from your next Las Vegas visit, end quote. They left out the portion which stated, quote, all with a slightly skewed, occasionally intoxicated perspective, end quote. Those eight words certainly changed the dynamic about what vital Vegas stands for, don't you think? And a footnote to the court, the defense points out to the judge, and and again, I'm going to quote this, Sahara quotes this about us statement in its complaint, but leaves out the bolded eight letter language. Sahara is at least consistent in its disregard for context, end quote, (laughs) zing number two. But notwithstanding Scott's full disclosure that Vital Vegas is part news, part rumor, there are other aspects which protect the comments he made in his blog post. Although the story starts out with the introductory paragraphs regarding the possibility of a liquidation sale, the bulk of the story goes into great detail how these allegations are unsubstantiated rumors which may or may not be true. Remember, the crux of the blog post wasn't about an actual liquidation and potential casino sale the heart of the blog post was about the rumors there could be a liquidation sale. The defense argues that it was true, there were rumors there could be a liquidation sale. And in regards to this rumor, Scott did hear rumors from insider contacts and a confidential source the Sahara was taking actions that strongly suggested it was planning to close. Most importantly for Scott, were the number of times he made full disclaimers that these were merely rumors. in fact there are five instances where he made clear that the that this liquidation uh, possibility was simply a rumor uh, and it looks like I actually may have put in uh, uh, six bullet points. so uh, Mark, would you give us what those 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 and these are quotes these, these are coming right out of the, the blog post. so Mark, if you want to just run right through these six for us and, and share with us what Mark or excuse me what Scott put in his post Sure.
0: This startling rumor is unconfirmed. Sahara's hotel business was soft prior to the crisis, but is now rumored to be abysmal. The rumor of a potential closure, the rumored closure of Sahara Las Vegas. Again, Sahara's closure has not been announced or confirmed, so it remains to be seen how this saga will unfold. Sources don't always get it right, and in this case, we'd love it if the information is wrong. The pandemic, it seems, was the straw that broke the camel's back.
1: Therefore, the defense argues, it's the wording which makes clear there is not a making of factual statements about what Sahara was doing. To the contrary, it's mere speculative opinion about what Sahara might do based upon the limited set of facts available. As the courts have noted, If it is plain that the speaker is expressing a subjective view, an interpretation, a theory or conjecture, as opposed to the speaker claiming to be in possession of objectively verifiable facts, and when done so, well then the statement is not actionable. For those reasons, the defense successfully convinced the court there's no reason an average reader of the article would interpret the blog article as containing factual representations about Sahara. All right, one last point before I move on to the next requirement. Even if the average reader might have read the blog article as factual representation that Sahara was planning to close its doors permanently, that implication was true or, you know, at least a reasonable statement for Scott to make, given all of the facts surrounding the casinos, COVID, and perilous financial times. Now let's talk about actual malice. And again, if you remember from the legal lounge segment on defamation, you will recall that actual malice is the degree of fault required of a defendant for defamation liability to attach. But this will depend upon the target and content of the defendant's speech. What this means is, you have to look at who the plaintiff is and determine into which of three categories the plaintiff is to be classified. The plaintiff is either a private individual, a limited purpose public figure, or a general public figure. And if you don't remember what the different categories represent, I'd recommend you go back and refresh your memory by re-listening to that, if I may say, outstanding product that I created. But here in our case, the defense argues that the Sahara Hotel and Casino is a public figure. It is argued that Sahara is a public figure because of its local prominence and influence. And the defense argues that at the very least the Sahara should be deemed a public figure for purposes of its livelihood and how COVID-19 has affected it. This is because of the extensive coverage of both Sahara and Las Vegas casinos generally, but also how it has affected the casino's operation and viability. For that reason, Sahara would have to prove that the statements Vital Vegas made in the article were made with actual malice but this is going to be a very difficult task as these statements are directly connected with an issue of public concern, specifically the potential closure of a well-known, beloved, and highly visible resort on the Strip. Its demise will have ripple effects across the valley due to the number of individuals it employs, the number of small businesses which provide goods and services to it, and how other casinos play off the first domino to fall. So what is actual malice and and, and and what must be proven? To begin, it is not considered to be something like ill will towards the plaintiff. Simply, actual malice can be proven when a defendant's knowledge that his statements are false or the statement is made with re- reckless disregard for the, the truth or falsity. Now, as you'll recall, we had a heck of a time figuring out what exactly a reckless disregard for the truth would look like back in our uh, August segment. And I'm not going to rehash it, but the best way that you can show uh, reckless disregard is, you know, a public figure like Sahara is going to have to prove that the writer-speaker entertained serious doubts as to the truth of the publication. And in Nevada reckless disregard only exists when the defendant acted with a high degree of awareness of the probable falsity of the statement, or at least had serious doubts as to the publication's truth. So, uh, all right, blah, blah, blah. What does that mean? It means that Sahara has to show when Scott put fingers to keyboard and typed up the blog article he had serious doubts as to the truthfulness of the rumors about which he was relaying to the reader. And for Sahara to do that, they have to convince the judge by clear and convincing evidence. This is more than the normal preponderance of the evidence standard, but a lower standard than criminal trials, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, although I don't want to mix or confuse civil lawsuits with, with criminal charges, I wanted you as a listener to know the different standards of evidence which must be presented in a case to win. The burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence requires the evidence to be so clear as to leave no substantial doubt. It must be sufficiently strong to command the unhesitating agreement of every reasonable mind. So coming back to our case the defense was able to convince the judge that Scott never acted with actual malice when he wrote his blog post. The statements merely repeated rumors he heard from sources he found credible regarding the liquidation prospects, and that is absolutely key in this case. It was true that he heard about the rumors and he believed the accuracy of those rumors when he wrote about them. More so, Sahara never alleged she held any substantially subjective doubts about the accuracy of his rumors. For those reasons, the defense convinced the judge that Sahara failed to meet its burden under that second prong of the anti slap statute. Therefore, failure of the defamation lawsuit thusly results in the failure of the other lesser hanging on claims such as false lie, business disparagement, and conspiracy. I'm not going to go into those claims and, and what they're about. I, I already did that in, in a larger scope of defamation back in August. But the other reason why I'm not going into the defense's argument about false light uh, business disparagement and conspiracy is because, as I noted back in August, the Sahara threw everything but the kitchen sink at Vital Vegas when they initially sued Scott. Once his attorney filed this anti-slap motion, the Sahara withdrew their claims of false light business disparagement and conspiracy. So I see no value in highlighting claims which held no merit, particularly when Sahara themselves withdrew their own claims. To conclude, the judge in the case ended up finding in favor for Scott in Vital Vegas across the board. The judge agreed that Vital Vegas satisfied the burden to show his statements were expressions of opinion and thus could not have been made with knowledge of their falsity. The judge also found the Sahara did not establish their prima facie case with sufficient evidence to prove they would likely prevail on their defamation claim because the statements were statements of opinion. As a matter of fact, the court order reads, and I'm going to quote here if I may, the way the statements were couched on the facts here, not viewing them as statements of opinion would inhibit and dull free speech, end quote. That is a really powerful sentence. I, 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 because of the number of people that do blogs and, and podcasts, I, I want to say that one more time. The way the statements were couched on the facts here, not viewing them as statements of opinion would inhibit and dull free speech. Finally the judge ruled that Sahara did not establish enough evidence to prove Scott exhibited any actual malice when he reported on the rumors. As it stands now, as of the date of this recording, it is yet to be seen whether Sahara intends to appeal this ruling to the next higher court. That being said, if there is an appeal, you know that I'll review it and I'll keep you uh, Patreon folk in the legal loop. Now, that's gonna do it for this segment of The Legal Lounge, but before I get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't give credit where credit is due. First, to Scott from Vital Vegas for providing me the documentation submitted by both his attorney and Sahara regarding this lawsuit. But likewise, I have to give great deference to attorney Mark Randazza with the Randazza Legal Group. 94% of this review that I just gave with you or provided is really lifted from attorney Randazza's motion to the court. The 6% of new content I provided was merely helping you as a listener to understand the context and the legal jargon. So my hat's off to both Scott for fighting this and Mark for making such a great fight and making my review so easy. If I appear smart, it's only because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants.